Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. There are thousands of amazing self-help books out there, but what happens when you're struggling at the moment and need help now? Well, my new book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook, is your new go-to self-help book. I wrote it specifically for when you don't know how to overcome a challenge. Each chapter gives you a framework on how to tackle your situation. I help you focus on what already works for you. Your situation today may be different, but the emotions you're currently feeling, you felt them before, and you did something that helped you. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. This book is specifically written to help you overcome any obstacle you may face. Purchase your book, Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. Once again, purchase Life Lessons, You Are the Experts on Your Life, a workbook on Amazon or at your favorite bookstore. My guest today is Dr. Valerie Young, who is a co-founder of Imposter Syndrome Institute. As a leading expert on imposter syndrome, she's spoken to over half a million people at organizations like Pfizer, Google, HelloFresh, NASA, and Oxford University. Her award-winning book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, has been published in six languages, and her advice has been cited in dozens of popular business outlets around the world, including Time, Newsweek, The New York Times, and BBC, just to name a few. In today's episode, Dr. Young will share with us how pervasive imposter syndrome is and show us the signs that someone may be struggling with it. Welcome back to Lifeology. Thank you. So I'm so happy to be here, James. I am looking forward to this. Uh, yes, you were on my show a year ago. So what I will do is in the show notes, I will put in that previous show so you, everyone can hear all the different things we talked about and get your own backstory and just talk more about the book. All those things are really important. So make sure you go to jamesmillerlifeology.com and you can listen to the first show. So we have talked about a lot of things, but I do like to get maybe a little bit of your backstory, um, how you recognize how imposter syndrome was pervasive in your life and what happened for you that you're like, I need to talk more about this or teach the world about it. Yeah, I really kind of stumbled into it, James. I, I was probably uh, 27 years old. I was in a doctoral program. Somebody brought in a paper by Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Imes. Those are the two clinical psychologists who first mm -hmm. coined the term, the imposter phenomena, and started describing how all these bright, capable, competent people felt like they were fooling folks. They weren't, you know, they were just lucky or timing. They can explain to where their success, and they were afraid of being found out. And I instantly identified, as did all the other graduate students, I might add. Um, interestingly enough, we started a little imposter support group. We started meeting, oh, talking about being intellectual frauds, how we're fooling all of our professors. And everything went great for a few weeks. And about the three-week mark, I started this nagging sense that even though all the other students were saying they were imposters, I knew I was only real imposters. They were clearly oh, phony imposters. Wow. So I just thought I changed my whole focus of my, my research. At the time, I was uh, doing uh, education and training on, on racism, w working with white groups, shifted gears, decided instead to look more broadly at kind of women's self-limiting attitudes uh, and behaviors and the underlying issue of imposter syndrome, turned that into workshops and just started running workshops from there. Wow. The person today that I was, with whom I was speaking and the first person who heard that, that lecture, what's the same and what's different? 
You know, interestingly, there's sometimes I'll go look something up and it's like, oh, wait, this was in, you know, I wrote this like <laughs> 35 years ago. <laughs> um, there's a lot the same. Let me tell you what's different. There's two things okay. that are different. Um, initially, it was really thought to be something that affected almost exclusively women. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the original paper was called The Imposter Phenomenon Among High Achieving Women. And by the way, the high achieving is, it, it paints a certain picture of who they were talking about. Sure. In fact, of the 150 people that they observed, 110 were undergraduate students. None of them mm. were uh, even managers or supervisors of any sort, even the professional oh, women. Okay. Yeah, so it kind of has, has this picture that's not really quite accurate. Um, so what's changed, I think, is, again, there was a lot of focus on, on as being a female issue, and more and more men are talking about it, even at very, very mm. senior level. You know, CEOs talking about their sure. own imposter feelings. So it's become kind of normalized in that way. Men are more comfortable talking about it. I think the other big difference, James, is uh, in my um, research, I think women, this would, you know, this would have been like in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, where white women especially were kind of moving into middle management and, you know, trying to move up a little bit into that corporate ladder. Uh, and, and I think shared the same kind of definition of success as, as many men did. I think over the years, women have kind of a more layered definition of success to also mm-hmm. include meaning, balance, satisfaction. So there's not that kind of inner conflict there as much. Wow, that's that's really interesting. And now, of course, and unfortunately, I have to say this, but unfortunately, a lot of there's, as different races are continuing to, how do I say this, is to have the place that they should have already had before. <laughs> we're also mm-hmm. seeing that they that we're having a lot of imposter syndrome as well. Can you talk to me more about that? How different how imposter syndrome affects different races in, in general? Yeah. Well, one finding, and there's been at least four studies that I'm aware of on this, has found that in just comparing different racial groups, that it's consistently imposter feelings as highest amongst Asian Americans. The researchers have two theories on that. One is, you know, because of systemic racism, that pressure to be the so-called model minority, to be always, you know, striving and excelling and, you know, being academically gifted and so on. But there's also um, cultural expectations or within the family of not wanting to shame the family. Uh, In Asian cultures, there's more of a notion of kind of collective um, success rather than individual Mm. Sure. Uh-huh. sure. So, so those are pieces as well. But but honestly, whenever you're on the receiving end of stereotypes about competence or intelligence, that can be based on race, a gender, age, uh, mm-hmm. disability. Mm-hmm. Even if you you speak, you know, English is not your first language, and you work for a sure. company where you're doing business in English, uh, or your first generation in your family to go to college mm-hmm. to succeed, mm-hmm. then you're more susceptible to imposter feeling. Individuals who have uh, disabilities, I'm assuming that there's also and I'm, I'm obviously speaking out of ignorance because I don't know, but I'm assuming with that, because everyone's going to have, everyone's going to have some type of imposter syndrome to a certain degree. So are there certain people within who may have disabilities who think I'm not, I'm not the, um, I have imposter syndrome when it comes to, I'm not the model person who has this disability, or, you know, they have to present a certain way as far as I need to be happy about this or go get her about this or the, right. whatever the poster child is of something like that. Is that, could that also be demonstrate oh. a pervasive aspect? Oh, of no, that? absolutely. And, and again, that's true for, uh, you know, uh, race, gender as well, but the sense mm-hmm. that you, you have this, now you have this pressure to represent your entire right. group. If you're one of the first if you're the few yeah. or the only one who kind of looks or sounds like you, you got that pressure. I was doing, mm-hmm. I did a speaking engagement uh, last week and this was a faculty member at a university in chemistry who is uh, blind. And, mm-hmm. oh, you know, that pressure, that, that feeling that if you're not like super disabled person, 
you know, that the next time they yeah. go to pick somebody a hire, they go, well, you know, we tried one of those people. They kind of unconsciously mm-hmm. think to themselves. So, I mean, look at Michelle Obama, you know, tremendous pressure to excel as, as the first lady. She's also not quite, you know, not surprisingly talked about her own imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I um I was recently a news outlet reached out to me and asked me some questions. So there was a I'm trying to remember the, the question. It was the prompt was something about um in the LGBT community, within their community themselves, a lot of people have a lot of imposter syndrome that they're not quote gay enough or quote lesbian enough or quote this enough within their group themselves. Can you speak more about how people who are very like-minded often feel like they have to represent in the community, even though they've never been put in the position to represent the community? Yeah, I, I'm happy to talk about that. I'm, very, I'm familiar with that, being a lesbian myself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I, I don't think it's imposter syndrome. That, that, okay. that term has been to attach to anything where there's, there's a sense of authenticity mm-hmm. or, um, I mean, it, it's just widely misused, I think. Um, so let me just be clear. Imposter syndrome is this belief that you're not as intelligent, capable, competent, um, okay. that you externalize your successes, you attribute them to things like luck, timing, computer error, you know, they just like me. Mm-hmm. And you have a fear of being found out. I think within uh, any okay. uh, community, it could be the black community, it could be, you know, the, the gay community, you know, there's this intra-group kind of oppression that can happen, mm-hmm. right? Where, where you are held up to a particular standard of not being, you know, fill in the blank enough, or on the other end, being too. <laughs> you know? Ah, okay, sure. <laughs> so, I tell it, pressure it, on both ends. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It's always that kind of, tight walk with even within a community. Yes. Well, I, I really appreciate you differentiating between what true imposter syndrome is versus the colloquial or the slang term that many people, slang definition that many people have, because obviously you're, you're right on that. That makes a lot more sense when it comes to the difference between one's actual accolades of everything they've accomplished and how the, they internally view it as opposed to insecurities that they may have about other things that aren't necessarily relevant to that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very much uh, about achievement arenas, work, school, business, career. Um, but it does get used a lot. People say, you know, I have parenting imposter syndrome. Um, somebody had imposter syndrome because um, Tom Brady had gone to Tampa Bay and now he didn't feel like they really deserved the Super Bowl because they got Tom Brady. I'm like, dude, oh. that's not imposter syndrome. <laughs> and by the way, I'm from New, Eng- I'm from New England. Bring him back. <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> We'll be right back. Are you an emerging persona or a global organization that isn't getting recognition from the press? Have your marketing and advertisement efforts hit a plateau? Let us help you take your brand to the next level. Red Heifer Media is a full-service boutique public relations agency specializing in health and wellness, tech, real estate, and nonprofit organizations. We can turn your successful company into a reputable brand. Take your first step and visit www.redheifermedia.com. Once again, visit www.redheffermedia.com to take your brand to the next level. If you're just now tuning in, I'm speaking with Dr. Valerie Young, who is a leading expert on imposter syndrome. She's teaching us the signs and symptoms that you or someone you know is struggling with imposter syndrome. One of the things we talked about in the first show, or the first time you're on, on here, was talking about just the internal versions of imposter syndrome, what that looks like. And if I remember correctly, uh, there are, what, nine different archetypes? seven or nine different archetypes of different aspects of how people show up with imposter syndrome. I remember one was the genius. I related to that one. Yeah, the natural genius. <laughs> but, yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah there, um, I never think of them as archetypes. A lot of people are okay. kind of putting that frame on it. Um, um, there's five, actually. And, oh, five. Okay. And, and what's really gotten lost in the conversation, because these are 
this is part of my work that is relentlessly a plagiarized and b misrepresented and sometimes frighteningly so like no it's the opposite of what they're putting out there in the world so mm. essentially what, what i found james is that one of the core reasons for imposter syndrome and there's many is this these unrealistic unsustainable expectations and understanding of what it means to be competent right we hold mm. ourselves to this standard that no human could possibly hit consistently um, I, I've done exercises with hundreds of thousands of people where I get them into groups and I have them come up with the unrealistic, unsustainable imposter rule book. In other words, this little part of our brain that says, if I was really intelligent, capable, competent, I should, or I'd never, mm. or I'd always like the, like the student at Stanford who said, I feel like I should already know what I came here to learn, or I'd never make a mistake, right? Or I'd always know the answer. I'd always be confident, right? Um, so you know, I'd have people do, they put them on flip charts and I used to collect them. And I noticed that over, over the years that there were patterns, right? Even though we uh -huh. all distort, exaggerate what it means to be competent, we don't do it the same way. So I came up with these five types that, that they're types. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, the perfectionist, obviously. So for that person, the expectation is that they perform flawlessly every single time, right? A minor typo, forgetting to mm -hmm. make a point in a podcast and they will yeah. beat themselves up endlessly. I mean, some minor point because they want everything to be absolutely perfect 100 percent mm. all the time and, and shame is at the core of all these right because if i fall short there's a sense of shame then there's the knowledge version of the expert that's the um i'm sorry the knowledge version of the perfectionist the person i call the expert so for them it's not so much about um the quality of your their work it's not that that doesn't matter but what's most important to them is the quantity of knowledge and information that they know uh, so in their mind they can never know enough those one more class to take, one more book to read, one more degree to get, certification, this kind of endless pursuit of the end of knowledge. So for them, you know, they're in a meeting, someone asks them a question, they don't know the answer, God forbid, right? That's going to evoke shame because mm -hmm. they oh, feel like correct. they should know 150%. Mm -hmm. That's also the person who doesn't start their business or grow their business or go for promotion because they feel like they're not ready enough. Uh, they don't know enough. Sense. The natural genius, which is you apparently <laughs> doesn't mean they are a genius doesn't mean they think they're a genius right I mean, what it means is that i mean although in your case you are but um, but what it really means is somehow this person got it into their head that if they were really intelligent capable competent this wouldn't be this hard mm -hmm. right so they're defining competence as being about ease and speed so if they have to struggle to master something or understand something they judge themselves harshly because they feel like they should be able to just pick up, pick up the ball, you know, jump into a new situation, hit the ground running. <laughs> right. And, and the fact that they struggle prove, you know, proves they're an imposter in their mind. Yeah. The soloist, as it sounds, they think it, it only counts if they do it all by themselves. They're not going to ask for tutoring, mentoring, coaching, mm -hmm. help. Uh, so they're going to struggle on their own needlessly, sadly. And then there's the superhuman who expects himself. Now there's kind of two versions of this. One version, which is the more typically female version in society is, mm -hmm. The expectation that we excel not just in our career or work, but as a parent, as a partner, home looks great, uh, we look great, you know, community member and so on. There's a different version I discovered coaching the senior executive. This guy is a star at his company. He started out with the company. It's, it's, it's grown to like a $150 million company. Right. He's up there with the two founders. He knows he's a star, but he also feels like an imposter. Because they're bringing in mm, these young MBAs with their spreadsheets and their standard operating procedure. And he's a strategy guy. He's a big picture guy. So his brain's like, you know. 
So, but he feels like an imposter. So I said, mm. so uh, I said, so John, it sounds like you're expecting yourself to be not only the star pitcher, but the star batter, the star base runner, gotcha. the star outfielder, right? And the guy looked at me and he said, oh my God, he said, I'm a sports guy. I just got it. So for <laughs> him, fantastic. it was about excelling in every single yes. role in sure. the organization. Wow. Especially the strategist. I mean, you would see, because in that you create obviously the strategy and the, the, the future of, of what the company looks like. So I can see how he would do that. I mean, it's logically makes sense to me, but I'm so glad he was able to recognize the difference with that. I wanted to transi- transition into, so we hear these different um, roles, but for me, let's say as a psychotherapist, I have a patient or I'm sure there's many coaches and, and many other people who are who work with a lot of people. How would I know that someone with whom I'm working, how would I know that they're demonstrating some of these imposter syndrome um, thoughts or feelings? Sure. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great question because a lot of people who are in the helping profession, whether it's in one-on-one mm-hmm. therapy or they, they work in a corporation mm-hmm. and they're doing coaching. Um, sometimes it's really obvious, James. They're, you know, they're constantly pushing away or minimizing compliments. Um, mm. they, they're, they're kind of turning themselves in, right? You say their work is great and you go, oh, well, I had a lot of help or I didn't, you know, it, it was nothing. Mm. If I can do it, anybody can. There might be those, those kind of patterns. But, you know, there are also people who exude confidence and you would never know they experienced imposter syndrome, except for at the end of the day, they're running to somebody going, oh my God, how did I sound? Was it okay? Did I sound oh, like, <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. um, it's tricky. <laughs> but I think you can start looking for patterns and behaviors. They're, when you feel like an imposter, I mean, it's not just an interesting self-help topic. It yeah. manifests <laughs> itself in, in behaviors. So if they're talking about kind of holding back from going for a big promotion or starting their business or growing their business, they're not going to a gallery to try to get their art in, right? And, and there's this chronic kind of self-doubt around that, then that, mm. that's a clue, obviously, right there. If they're overworking, over-preparing, right? Their boss mm. says, yeah. you know, write the agenda for Friday's meeting and they turn in a five-page report, you know, that's oh, the gosh. other end. They yeah, kind of okay, cover over. up for their supposed yeah. ineptness. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. When it comes to diversity and inclusion, what would be some other ways that people could recognize that? So as we know, diversity and inclusion is, this is how it sounds. Everyone, there's a diversity aspect, and the, but there's also inclu- the inclusive aspect as well. So everyone is, is obviously um, on the same page there. But what would be some ways that would be a little bit different? So for me, who may be different, quote, different than other people, what would be a way that I could recognize that, that if it's so far different from me? Is it p- pretty much what you just said? I think the difference is... Again, if you belong to any group on the receiving end of stereotypes about competence or intelligence, you're doing double duty, right? You're, in other words, you're sitting in a mm. meeting and you don't understand, right? And we've all been in a meeting where we don't understand what the person is talking about or maybe a class, <laughs> but we don't want to raise our hand because yes. we don't want to sound stupid, right? We've yeah. all done it. And what yes. happens? Somebody asks our question. They go, oh, that's brilliant. What a great question. You're like, ah, that was my question or my idea. <laughs> The point I always I make is, is competence isn't knowing everything. It's about not knowing with confidence. It's about being uh, the person in the room who says, excuse me, I'm not following. Do you mean this? Do you mean that? Can you say more about that? But the point I want to make is that if you are, again, on the receiving end of those stereotypes, will you feel more vulnerable being the one who raises your hand? Or maybe, maybe you're the youngest. Maybe you're the oldest, mm. right? So you're underestimated based on age stereotypes. Mm-hmm. You might feel more vulnerable, but the point I always make to James is that none of us have any control over what anyone in that room thinks of us. None. Zero. Yes. We can only control our response. That's mm-hmm. why I wanted to come like from the depths of people's soul that they believe that they have just as much right to ask a question as anyone else in the room 
and to, and to ask it with with conviction and confidence and not shame. That is some, yeah, I really appreciate that because as we know, there's, I think there's what, seven different versions of intelligence. So as we know, intelligence doesn't have to necessarily be the book smarts. It can be uh, mathematics. It can be with, with animals. It can be with botany. There's so many different versions of that, which is really important. Right. So it's always good that people recognize that intelligence doesn't necessarily have to be, like you said, the, the book smarts. I always find that people who have more, have a higher IQ, which is the, the intelligence quotient versus people who have a higher EQ, which is the emotional intelligence. People who have a higher EQ, when they try and talk to someone who has a higher IQ, because a person that's quote smarter doesn't show, doesn't really give a lot of expressions. So the person yeah. who has a higher EQ, all of a sudden like, wait a minute, I'm second guessing myself because I'm not able to read what this person says. And so they automatically assume that they're less than because they're not able right. to read the other person. So they automatically assume the person who has a quote higher IQ is smarter than right. and it has nothing to do with it. It just has to do with how we interact oh, with the other person. Absolutely. And a lot of it, you know, and the research is, is showing over and over again that you've got two, two people. One is more innately talented, let's say. Mm -hmm. The other one doesn't have this innate talent, but they put in the effort, mm -hmm. more effort. That person's going to go much farther than the person yes. who on paper or any other way was, was intelligent. Let me give you an example. I spoke to a group of college professors. Impostorum is rampant at universities, not just with students, but also with faculty and staff. Because you're in wow. a very highly educated environment, mm -hmm. and, and there's a lot about academia and the culture that fuels self-doubt. So this professor comes up to me afterwards and he says, what would you say if there was somebody in your department who really is an imposter? And I said, well, I'd have oh, to understand. What do you mean by that? And he said, well, everybody yeah. thinks this guy is really smart, but he's not. He just works really hard. I said, is he successful? And he said, very. I said, then who cares? Right? <laughs> who cares? But it's a great example of they're in an environment where there's a premium on being quote unquote mm. smart, but it doesn't matter. This guy is outstanding. Yeah. So very successful. I, I really, I really appreciate that because it's, well, I've, of course, I don't know the motivation for why that person said that, but it's, it's a great question to ask, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it would, if a person does work hard, strength that comes easy is not strength at all. So if I'm like super great at something, but I don't really practice it, it just comes natural. Well, I take advantage of that and I do become lazy. But the other person who does have to work and strive for that, that is actual strength that continues is built up over and over again. And I can see how they would be just as successful, if not more, like you said, in a lot of, in a lot of ways as well. This is an, it's such an interesting question that that person asked. There's a great uh, book called Grit by Angela Duckworth with all this research, like at, at uh, West Point, you know, they, they, it's a very rigorous acceptance oh, process gosh, wow. and, yeah, and most sure. people are rejected. And on paper, these people should get through this very grueling, you know, I don't know, it's three month period or whatever it is. And they can't figure out why the people they expect to do the best drop out. But they're, they're discovering mm. it, it's grit. It's the people who weren't the, mo the most excellent on paper and had all this background and so on. It's the people who had, were persistent, you know, put in the effort and just had this goal and kept going. So I would assume that that's more the drive and the motivation. So we have the, the natural, someone doesn't necessarily have the natural talent per se, but I guess that grit, I guess that would quantify as that, is motivation and drive something to prove other to themselves or to, or to someone else. I can see that that would be powerful motivators to be very successful. Yeah. I mean, and they, they just, they want it and they're willing to put in the work. Mm -hmm. To get it. I mean, you look at Steph Curry. I don't know if you're a basketball guy, but, um, mm. you know, he, there's a really great motivational video on, on YouTube, but he was, you know, when he went to basketball camp when he was in college, he went to a small college. Everybody else went to one of these big basketball schools. He wasn't one of the tallest ones, but he would show up like two hours early. He'd stay two hours late. You know, it was all about just putting in the effort. Wow. 
that is, that's amazing. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. You don't have to be the best at everything, but like you said, the grit or the drive and tenacity that you have will always help you overcome any obstacles you may face. What's next for you? So you've done so many things. I mean, you are literally like all over the world doing these things. What's next for you and imposter syndrome Institute? Well, we, we, we co-founded with, with my, uh, my associate, the uh, imposter syndrome Institute. We have a very grand goal, which is to stamp out imposter syndrome around the world. And so we're, we're really turning our attention to how do we work with universities? How do we work with major corporations to help them bring solutions in house that are sustaining so they can really address imposter syndrome on the inside. So everybody's, you know, is achieving their full potential because imposter isn't just costly to individuals, James. It, there's also costs and consequences sure. to, to organizations that. as well. Sure. That makes a lot of sense. You know, the efficacy aspect of it as far as the, and the culture as well. I mean, it's, a, it's wonderful that people like you are able to go in and help change that culture, stamp it out and help people recognize that we're probably more like than we realize and we probably all have some form of imposter syndrome somewhere in our life. Right. <laughs> it has been such a pleasure having you on my show. You're welcome back anytime. If my viewers and listeners want to find out more information about you and also purchase your book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, to learn more about the Imposter Syndrome Institute, where would they find all this information online? It could not be easier, James. They just go to impostorsyndrome.com. Wonderful. Dr. Valerie Young, thank you so much for being a wonderful guest minister. I truly appreciate thank all you. your expertise. Thanks. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.